So the Travelling Through podcast is here today with Phil Brandon Hunter. Hello, Phil. (laughs) This is the Travelling Through podcast. I'm your host, Emma, and today my guest is Phil Hunter. He went to art school to study graphic design, but actually ended up being an electrical lighting engineer, amongst other things. But painting has always remained his passion. These are his thoughts on being an artist, the world, and life. I'm just trying to remember the first time I met you, and I think it was at Travelling Through, you came with my cousin to have a quick cup of coffee or a, a well, glass a of wine. Well, a quick yeah, that's right, a quick browse. say hello. Yes, yes. Yes, indeed. Then you were off to the theatre. Yes, and... I don't remember if it was the new Vic or the old Vic, but it was definitely in the area. Yes, and since then you did actually come back to, to the bookshop a couple of times mm. to look at the books, have a browse and mm. on your way. Yeah, well, so I knew that you were holding events and so on. Yes. So I particularly was keen to introduced my friend Rick. That's right, the poet. The poet, yes. who, who lives in Wales but comes yeah. from Newcastle. That's right, yes. And yes, um, that was one of the reasons I was particularly keen to, yes. you know, to um, be introduced. And I've forgotten Rick's surname. Hool. Hool, okay, that's right, because we were in contact, but I think it didn't quite work out between him coming to London to have a, a poetry event because he was mainly in Wales and I think he comes to London mm, a couple of times. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and then sadly we closed, so it, it never actually transpired. But No, no, it still stands in, in principle. Yes, definitely. <laughs> if travelling through opens anywhere again, we will definitely have him on there. Well, you can travel to Abergavenia. Maybe that's what I should do. Mm, exactly. Yeah. That's an idea. <laughs> But also in our discussions, I learned that you were an artist. But at that stage, so that we're probably talking about two, three years ago, were you just getting back into your arts, to painting again at that Well, point? kind of in a bigger way, yes. I mean, it's obviously something you, you're kind of always doing, but you're having more time available yes. to do it. Yes. And that's important. Yes. And your art, has, has it always been in your blood? Is it something that you've loved doing since a child or how, how did you get into? Yeah, I mean there, there are particular times when I realised that it was art that I wanted to do mm-hmm. but I mean you know even as a small child you're still sort of you're playing with the stuff around you or you're playing with other people and you're looking at things in a certain way and you're realising the way you're looking might not be the same way as other people are looking. Yes. So you learn that maybe you've got some particular way of looking which might might be relevant. Yes, and I suppose that also helps to create your style as well. As you get older, did you find that the way that you were painting was a specific style that you were then just not embellishing but developing or were you trying all sorts of different things? Style is a difficult thing because, you know, style in a way is, is what comes out of, of your kind of, you know, your way of perceiving. Yes. People saying, well, oh yes, this is your style, but it's a bit of a nebulous thing as to what that is. Yes. Because as an artist, or for myself anyway, your style is something that's always changing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're not seeking to be governed by a style. Yes. But style is something which happens to show up in what you produce. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's what other people see you as, yeah. rather than how you see yourself. Obviously, you did art like everybody does at, at school, but is it something that you developed into as one of your the GCSE exams and everything, or was it something that you actually 
got into more after you left school? Oh, no, definitely during school. I mean, during primary school, even. Mm -hmm. Because I had uh, Mrs. Etherington, <laughs> who was my third-year primary teacher. Yeah. She happened, as well as dealing with what she was meant to be dealing with, also taught us laboriously how to handwrite, mm -hmm. you know, with a fountain pen and what have you. And also how to bookbind, how to make books. Really? And these were obviously what she considered were going to be good for the children, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. And to my mind, they certainly were. Yes. One of the things I remember about it, because we were using fountain pens, is that because I'm left-handed, Yes. well, one of the, several of the teachers tried to make me right-handed, but mm -hmm. no, I stuck at it and yeah. said, no, I'm left-handed. And when you're left-handed, you're pushing the pen across the paper. Yes. Whereas as a right-handed, it kind of follows you. Yes, it? yes. And therefore, what you're first of all learning to do when you're writing with a fountain pen in particular, or a dip pen or anything like that, is how not to snarl the yes. nib into the paper. To smear your... <laughs> well, yes. no, to actually pierce oh, the paper and that's bend true. the nib. You're actually having to control that nib far more yes. than if you were right-handed. Because in right-handed, you're dragging it, if you like, across the paper. Yes. Whereas in left hand, it's going before you. Yes. You yes. know, some people learn to kind of turn you know, it around, don't to sort of write with their hand double jointedly, if you like. Yes. Being left handed forces you, if you like, to learn greater control. Yes. And that was useful. That's very interesting because I'm left handed as well. And I okay. always, I always, I never quite understood why people were very reticent to give me their pen, particularly if it was a fountain pen to write with, when they realised I was left-handed, they oh, would no, almost grab the pen from my hand and say, use this one instead, because I don't want you to bend the nib of my pen. And I thought they were just mm. being over-precious, but mm. clearly... Mm. Well, I also learned the skill of how to straighten a bent nib and such oh, things. You? you become sort of quite uh, inventive. Yes. You also learn ambidexterity, really, because you, there are many things which, because of the predominant hand is the right in in the world you can say that you're disadvantaged by being left-handed in fact you're advantaged mm -hmm. because you are having an extra obstacle to overcome an extra skill to learn yes yes so in fact you know it seems to me that that kind of makes you having fought against an adversity you become more adept and yes more yes. Versatile. yes i'd never looked at it that way yeah Good point. <laughs> and actually, they do say that left-handers are more generally artistic and are better at sport. I don't know how true that is, but... I don't know. I'm not... More talent. Uh, Maybe not yeah, better, yeah, but have yeah. a talent that others don't... Well, I know, you know, in cricket, you confuse the bowler somewhat by being left-handed. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's true. Because oh, how do I deal with this? You know, yes. The same as if you're a left-handed bowler. Yeah. You know, how does the batsman deal with you? Yes. So it gives you an advantage because you're to that degree different. Yes. But of course, religiously, you're on the side of the devil, aren't you? <laughs> you are. Which is how come superstitiously you're discouraged from yeah. being sinister. But, um, it's very true because my mum, my being Catholic, she had her left hand put in a brown paper bag, so she had to learn with her right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you'll find yeah. that, yeah, I mean, you'll probably find that, I mean, obviously, natural state, if you like, is to be ambidextrous. Yes. And that is what you might call a natural state. Yes. But through training, you tend to become specialised with one particular hand. Yes. But I wonder whether, with, with paintbrushes, 
I mean, a lot of the paintbrushes, it doesn't matter whether you're right-handed or left-handed, does it? No, so, there's nothing, so, there's so nothing handy it's about actually, a paintbrush. Yeah, so it's more freedom. There's not an, another skill to overcome, to, to paint. That's right. You're not, mm. Yeah, you have freedom. As, I mean, you know, there are great artists who have no hands. That's true, yes. And they use mouth or foot or whatever yeah. you like. Yes. But uh, all they need is a way of holding them, is that brush. Yes, <laughs> true. And so with your artwork, you've developed into using mainly oils and acrylics, or is it also watercolours? What, what's your favourite medium that you... I can't say use? there's a favourite, mm. um, other than the oils, for instance. The paint stays wet. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of sculpt, if you like, the paint. Yes. And you can scrape it off and you can throw it away, you can start again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very flexible in that sense. Yes. And the pigment, which is the colour within that paint, goes where the oil takes it. And that's what you're learning is how to control that pigment mm-hmm. through that medium of oil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things about it, if you like, is it doesn't dry out quickly. It's well, it stays wet for, you know, forever, really. Mm, mm. You know, the oil kind of more or less dries, but it's oil. Yeah. Whereas with acrylic, you're dealing with the medium there is water. Yes. And therefore, the water evaporates and the paint dries. Yes. You, you can't yeah. go back to it and say, well, I don't want that bit there. All you can do is paint over it. Yeah. But you can paint over it, yeah. and the way in which you paint over it, you paint over it loosely, then the colour underneath shows through, for instance. They are different, but they're still different ways of getting that pigment onto that paper. Yes. You for, for you, do you which, which medium do you find it depends more challenging? What challenging? I mean, the thing with painting, as with most disciplines, if you like, is that you're learning to predict what a medium will most suit what you're about to do. Okay. So, so, you know, so you choose acrylic for this particular work because you believe that that's going to be the best for it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, having skill in in both or other mediums too, like watercolour, for instance, is another one. Again, it's kind of similar to acrylic, but it's not the same. Yes, yeah. You know, with acrylic, it has thickness, if you like, Mm -hmm. whereas watercolour, all you've got is the white paper and the paint. Yes. You you can't change what you've done. You can't, well, you can if, if you're a clever paint over it. But generally speaking, what you put down first is what you get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, watercolour is far more tricky. Mm-hmm. A lot of people call it very English because it involves trickery of a kind <laughs> yeah, and it involves a lot of luck. When you splosh that water on that paper, you don't know what it's going to look like exactly, mm. but you're pretty good idea. It's going to look interesting, if nothing else. Yeah. So you know, so your sky up there is a wash of watery paint, mm. which eventually dries, and oh, well, that turned out all right. There's a lot of luck involved <laughs> as well, you know. Okay. But then again, people are good at it. Actually, remove the degree of luck. Yes. So it's ninety percent technique watercolor, mm. whereas oil is technique there's greater opportunity for you to guide that medium okay and yeah. have it do more you can do more with it right. seems to me anyway yes yeah yes and sadly because we're just about to go into another lockdown mm. you had an exhibition planned for next week in fact which is why i had organized to speak to you beforehand to promote it but 
this was going to be in Rye. Yeah, in Rye, East Sussex, that's right, yes. not far from here. And um, yes, it was scheduled to be in November, but because of what's happened, it's been rescheduled for March. For March, yes. so that's great. So you've, you've got a, a slot ready for next year. I've got greater time to perfect some more pieces, yes. I suppose you could say, get more work done. And the title yeah. of your exhibition? Oh yeah, that, that is If I Could Fly. With an which spells E Y E, yes, yeah. indeed, yeah. And the the focus of your exhibition was to do with rye, but it was also some abstract. So, so some of it was very much scenery of the coastline and of rye itself and the surroundings, and and then you had abstract. But was the abstract also of the same area, an abstract view of the same area, or, or were they very different? Um, abstract's a funny word, isn't it? Because it implies that you're going from something to something else or something. You know, you're, you're extracting or something. You yes. Know? It's a bit similar to... Or you're losing reality and going on off into something unreal, if you like. But then again, equally, it can be the other way around, where you're going from something nebulous and producing something real. But it's not a picture of... A known place, yes. but it can be a picture or a construction that can have meaning, even so. Yes, yes. So, for you, when you created the abstract art for this exhibition, did you do that like in a studio or at home, or were you out in nature and inspired by that? Or how, how did you formulate those particular Well, I think images? of one in particular, I, you know, I took the canvas. Often I will work outdoors in order to kind of have the space, if you like. Mm -hmm. You know, to be in the, the world is a better place than being in a tiny bit of the world, which might be your studio or your kitchen table. Mm. But um, if, if you're out in the world, you can draw on the experience of being there mm -hmm. and put that into your work, even if you don't actually copy it. Yes, yes. Okay. It's still part of that work. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a painting or, or a piece of work is a piece of you, as well as being a piece of canvas or a piece of paper or a piece of stone or whatever. It's kind of a combination of the physical and the spiritual, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. The paintings you've done of Rye, why particularly of that area? Well, it's somewhere I know. I was brought up originally in Carshalton, Surrey. Or mm -hmm. some people call it London. Then we moved to Sutton, and then we moved from there. My parents actually made a move out of London to East Sussex, oh, wow. to near Rye. Okay, yes. And my father, well, both my parents, took a complete change because my father left his work as an engineer, as a mechanical, electrical engineer, and became instead a village shopkeeper, postmaster. And that's what they did. My parents took over a village shop. So we went from being suburban to being country. And very community, I imagine, as a Oh, extreme, extremely, yeah. totally. The centre of the community. A village shop puts you slap bang in the community. Yeah, definitely, it, you know? definitely. Particularly as this was in the back, around about 1970, mm -hmm. when at that time the village shop was where people got their provisions. Mm. You, know, you delivered to just about everybody in, in the in the parish, mm -hmm. not just in the village, but in the entire area. Yes. And when they took over in 1970, 
that's primarily what they were doing is mm. preparing people's orders for delivery all during the week. Right. As well as being the post office where people came for their pension, their stamps and, and their banking, uh, all these different things that a post office could in those days offer. Mm. Still offers them now, but people go elsewhere for most of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. The post office has its place as the hub of a community. Mm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have that in anything like that way anymore. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, say in 19, I can think now when the business finally closed in around about the year 2002, mm-hmm. it got, you know, the number of people you delivered to had sort of dropped off to just one or two who you did it as a social service. Mm-hmm. People who mm-hmm. couldn't walk or whatever. Yes. You know, you no longer delivered everything. Mm-hmm. You're no longer that interface, if you could call it that, between the supplies and the community. People mm. will go wherever they want their supplies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. nowadays they, they go to online, online and things, yes, yeah. but they're still buying it from suppliers, from mm-hmm. retailers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but the village shop is very rarely that retailer now. Yes, or the sort of the hub of uh, all the service that, mm. that it was. Well, it, I mean, the post office was only invented in the 1840s, I think, was it? I don't know. Uh, round about then, so the concept of the post office was only 150 years old at the time mm. when people no longer used it mm. in the same, in the same way. way yeah. so it had a short life. Yes, yes. But people look at it as traditional, but mm-hmm. it was what it was at the time. You know? Yes, yes. Like internet kind of taken over, but it still uses the same principle of supply and demand and retailing, selling and yes, what yeah. have you, wholesaling and all these different things. Yes, yes. So you were based near to Rye, and your later childhood, should we say, was around that area at the seaside. So your influences were very much of the surrounding area of Rye, was it? At the time that my parents made that move, I was already leaving school mm-hmm. and going to college. Right, okay. So luckily for me, it didn't interrupt my schooling. Yes. Because I'd already making the transfer of becoming a, a college student instead of a school, you know, mm-hmm. schoolboy. And did you go to art school? Yes. Okay, so you did follow your passion, as it were. Indeed, yes, yes. I mean, the the passion is something that occurred to me while I was still in fifth form, whatever age that makes you, probably about 16, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all changed now. Sixth form still exists. You know, still where you do your A-levels, which is what I was doing. In my day, they were called O-levels, A-levels, and you did your subjects up to one level, and then you went into sixth form to select from them and perfect some of them yes. into A level. Yes, yes. And I was able in my particular secondary school, which was Wallington County Grammar School, mm-hmm. they had a, a just a phenomenal art department. Did they? You know? yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, it was run at the time I happened to be there, set up and was run by a particular teacher called Ronald Wood. And he had three other teachers helping him, Mr. Hunter, who happens to be my namesake, <laughs> John Hunter, and Mr. Pepper and Mr. Wellstead. I remember them well because they were all kind of there at the, at the formative time of my uh, desire to be an artist. Mm, and they very much developed that and, and encouraged you to carry on with that and go to art school. Yes, yes, so. because, because as I say, Ronald Wood, Ron Wood, he, he was Ron, I mean, I had a particular conversation with him while I was still in fifth form, it would have been during a lunch hour, 
I sort of I used to gravitate towards the art department any time I could because you know, I was drawn there. And I remember having a conversation with him, at which point I saw with clarity, if you like, the field of art was definitely what I was made for, if you like, or mm-hmm. was made for me. Mm. Which way round you put it? Mm. How do you decide? Because there's the physical world, and then there's us with our minds and our ideas, and how do we channel what's available in the physical world? And how can we make it merge and travel with us? You know, in our spiritual journey. Yes. You know, and, uh, Yes, they're very true. This particular conversation, I don't remember the words, but I can remember the feelings. A bit like when you see something with clarity, you not only think it, you see it. And and there's a mental side to it as well as a physical. Because you're having a conversation with somebody else, it's even stronger because of a shared experience. Yes, yes. What it's meaning to you isn't necessarily was meaning to, to the them, other, yeah. but you, it is a shared experience. Mm. And that was a special moment, if you like, in my decision. Yes, I could do maths, I could do physics, I could do chemistry, I could do biology in particular. I was particularly kind of scientifically able, mm. but what for? Mm. And science, great stuff, you know, you can put things in order, <laughs> you can and do all sorts of things with it. But what for? What is the purpose? And the purpose of science is to, what is the purpose of science? In theory, it's to improve our knowledge, our ability to understand and to hopefully build a future. Mm, mm-hmm. But So you took the art, but you decided to take the art I was path. lucky, yeah. if you like, yeah. in that this particular school had a visionary man who set up this art department. Mm-hmm. And also it had an excellent um, headmaster, Mr Hitchin, he was 17 years the headmaster at this school. Right. I came along somewhere roughly in the middle of it. Headmaster could see the value of what that art department was seeking to produce. Right. I know that it took some doing, if you like, to persuade the headmaster to support him in what he was setting mm, up. Interesting. I take it the school still the school exists. The still exists. And it, does it still have a very strong... Art side, I or do you think that was know. a moment in time? I think there was because just a, of it was a yeah it was generated like a by yeah history isn't a series of battles you know and who died and who lived it's a, it's a series of people who stand out who said no who said hang on we're not going to do that we're going to do this mm. and when you read history you really should be reading. Who was the obstinate one at that time? Who said, no, we're not all going to do that. We're actually going to make life better. Like a Pericles did in Greek times, we're going to actually take this way better. And that's what history really should, you know, what you should look into history for, mm. is who were the shining lights yes. at the different times. Yeah. And your art teachers certainly were, and they, they put well, you on the road to, to going to art yeah. school. Well, they, they were living in a period, uh, late 60s, so we're talking... Since, you know, since 1951, the Festival of Britain, there had been this sort of growth, if you like, of of culture, you know, like yes. the South Bank, with the Haywood Gallery and the Royal Festival Hall, and, mm-hmm. and that as an example of a cultural yes. endeavour. Yes. In um, fact, I worked for the archi- one of the architects. He was a oh, young right. architect at the time for the Royal Festival Hall, Trevor Dannett. Oh, yeah. So that's interesting. I'd never put that connection together between... 50s, 60s, and that whole movement, as it were, of artists and architecture. And it was a very 
how, how can I say, a, a very, uh, it was almost like a platform or a, a springboard for those at that time to, de- to really experience and develop their skills in art or architecture, even science, I suppose, as well, to give people more expression. Well, it was Phoenix from the Ashes, mm. wasn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, because of that first half of the century, from 1914 through to 1945. I mean, mm. what a chaotic time. Yes. Yeah. And yet, in that middle period between, if you're looking for where did the inspiration come for the 1950s, 60s, 70s, it actually came from the 1910s, the 1920s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The visionary people were alive then. Yes, yes. The sciences, if you like, that we now consider to be so very modern, mm. were just totally modern then. Yes. I mean, we talk of the Industrial Revolution, but the real revolution was, we talk of the Renaissance, it was a rebirthing, a rebirthing mm. of that spirit mm. of man, which comes at times, mm, mm-hmm. and it's so inspirational to so many. Yes, yes. Yeah. So when you were at art school, um, the, your tutors there, were they very much of an era, a pre-war era, or were they of a post-war era? They, 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 no, by, then, by then, you know, they didn't really have the war in mind. We're talking 25, 27 years. They were still born in the war, yes, so they're yeah. still children of that chaos but, yes, uh, yeah. but you know they were that much further on that they lived in times of peace at least on our shores yes and yeah. therefore able to uh, offer plenty of skills and plenty of guidance mm, mm-hmm. so your artwork which direction did it take while you were at art school my course was in graphic design mm-hmm. i chose that in particular because i wanted to to learn how to how to draw, if mm. you like, mm-hmm. and how to lay out, how to produce the structure of a work of art. I mean, what is art? Art is of how you make ideals become possible. You talk about an artist, he's somebody who is, you can call anyone an artist, but what you're meaning by that is what? Is that they, usually that you say they have vision, like Shakespeare or somebody, he could turn stuff in his head into stuff there in the world for others to experience. Yes. They were creators, Mm. you know, and that's what we mean by an artist. People who say, well, I'm no artist, you know, are lying, because even when they produce a lovely cake or a nicely decorated room, Mm. they are still being their artist. They are still exerting control over their materials towards a given end. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that is art. Yes, tapping into their own creativity in the way mm. that they can be creative. Mm. It's funny, they think, oh, well, I'm tapping into my creative side. But I mean, your creative side is you. Yes, yes. That is very you. true. You know, yeah. even when you're, you're trying to settle an argument, you're trying to create some harmony, aren't you? You're, you're constantly... <laughs> some people <creative>. are. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that, that's when, when you start to realise that some people are, if you like, anti-creative. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seek chaos or they seek trouble or they seek but, I mean they are still being creative but what they're creating is is chaos mm. whereas the spirit of man probably you know, to my mind is more to do with when it succeeds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is this creating yes of something good yes yeah yes interesting I, it's very interesting points yeah yes I'd never looked at it like that but you're absolutely right mm. yeah. mm. 
Well, you know, if you want to define what something is, okay, what creative? Okay, well, the way to find out what it is is to think about, well, what isn't it? Mm. What is it not? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you say, well, it isn't, I don't know, a stone in the road, or it isn't, well, okay, but is it a stone in the road? It might be. If you look at what it isn't, yes. you'll discover what it is. And that in itself is a, a way of creating. Mm-hmm. If you want to create some space or you want to create something, what do you do? You have in mind your idea, but at the moment you haven't got it. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, your idea is not, mm-hmm. if you like. Yeah. Okay, okay, well, what have I got to do to this not my idea to make it my idea? And that is what creativity is. Mm-hmm. It's saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this thing. Mm-hmm. I haven't got it, but I'm, but I'm getting it. Yeah, you know, and yeah. that is creativity. Yes, it, yes. It's that determination, it's that drive, which is in the spirit of man, to actually take that idea and make it from a not idea to an idea. An idea and yeah. once it becomes an idea, it is real. And mm. that's what reality is, isn't it? Mm. It's ideas that have been made real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you told me that you grew up in in Rye or around or no you didn't grow up no, in Rye. I, I, well I was born I was born in in, in, in or, no I was actually born in the hospital in <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in Twickenham because my you parents s- lived in Richmond on yeah. Thames at the time ah okay so actually you slowly migrated closer and closer to the sea you could say that yeah yeah, yeah. only when I got a bit older did I actually make the leap across that sea Okay, and is that for art reasons? Well, it was coincidence. It was what you did because you had children and you wanted to take them on a good holiday. You learnt that, you know, a a good place to go was further south. And when you started venturing further south, you found that, you know, oh yeah, France is nice. Well, then again, south of France is even nicer Mm -hmm. (laughs) in certain ways. Support you in your endeavours. You don't want to get wet. So don't go, don't go to somewhere wet, you go to somewhere good. And Provence is a good example mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of somewhere where, well, you sit on the beach and, and the sun stays shining. Or yeah. you sit there with your easel and the sun stays shining. Yes. You know, yes, you've, yeah. got, you've got a consistency of, of climate or atmosphere. Yes. Which helps you in that spirit of wanting as an artist, if you're painting that thing on plein air, you're out there and you're painting it. It's useful to have that time Mm-hmm. that continuance of, of the atmospheric condition for you to seek to represent it there on that canvas or paper or whatever yes, you're, yeah. you, you're working on. I mean, um, when I look for, say, artists who or people that have inspired me, one of them would be Paul Cezanne, mm-hmm. who was from Aix-en-Provence. And, I mean, when, when I say I admire him... I'd, Yes, I admire a given person or a given thing partly by, yes, what they've produced, but also partly by what information you can find as to what went on in their minds and their lives in order for that to be what they produced. Yes, yes. And so you look, you know, you read, well, you know, who's written about him, where has he been quoted? And one of the things I came upon that was quoted by him is... As an example, I've defined him now on That's my piece right. of paper here. I mean, while you are looking, it's also that the fact that, as you say, when the weather is consistent and the sun always shines, you actually have, you can relax in that situation 
rather than feel you you put your easel out and then suddenly you feel that you you're in a constant rush or having to do something very quickly for fear that it's suddenly going to rain so there's yeah so you're yeah. inside your own self there's a sense of calm I don't know, some people maybe work better in a rush where you don't have time and others, it's, it is about being calm and having the time to absorb, taking the colours, taking the scenery, um, feel inspired maybe even, um, mm. and, and then you start painting, whereas I suppose it's different different um, settings and different timings almost. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, create, the, create the, their the, I creativity. Mean, t- yeah, well, yeah, well, I mean, I suppose... Time itself is is a sort of a expandable, contractible item. You know, you take a lot of time, or you can take no time at all. And if you if you listen or to I don't know a songwriter or a musician, he'll tell you he, he just wrote it. He didn't sort of labour over it. Mm. It came mm. to him. Yes. Like. Yeah. I mean, this quote I'm thinking of, oh, yes. translated into English, is painting from nature is not copying the object. It is realising one's sensations. Now, a certain amount might be lost in translation because the original is, pardon my French accent, is peindre d'après nature, ce n'est pas copier l'objectif, c'est réaliser ses sensations. Unfortunately, in translation, languages don't often translate that well. No, they don't. <laughs> we've, we've talked about this in the past, about, <laughs> or it's just, yes, it's translated the way somebody wants it to be interpreted. Well, that's right, you, you've got the mind of the translator interfering, yes. haven't you, yeah, if you yes, like, exactly. or contributing, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, so, so really it's saying, you know, if I was going to seek to translate it into good old English, it's saying that the painting of a natural subject, if you like, is not a process of copying mm. that subject onto your medium, whatever it is, medium canvas. with paper, canvas, piece of rock, whatever yes. it is. It is realizing your sensations, but not only your sensations, but the sensations that that subject gives you. Yes, you're in a yes. two-way conversation yeah, with dialogue, that subject. Yes, yes you're definitely. saying, well, okay, you know, uh, Mr. Blue Sky, you're asking that subject that thing in front of you tell me about yourself and that's what you do you sit down there and you seek to translate that into paint and pencil or whatever it is yes, you're working yes with. Yeah, yes that's why i would look at that and think well actually yes i've looked at your paintings mr Cezanne, but equally i've looked into your mind mm. and that's equally as important yes. you know like knowing what kind of time he was having yes and yes. also because emil zola was a friend and and a brilliant writer, you could look within Zola's works yes. for what was going on with Paul Cezanne's mm. life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Zola was a, a penetrative kind of writer who would find the questions that Cezanne was asking yes. and yeah, the yeah. battles he was having, as well as he would tell you what societal things were going on at that time as well. We were talking 17... 18, 18. Eight, late 1870, There was a very interesting documentary about Cezanne quite recently, actually, and I had no idea that he was such a... He was a traveller as well, and a loner, like very much by mm. himself. Mm. going and staying in places and 
being in places for long periods of time in France and in the winter as well as the summer and and looking at colour and I mean I obviously again this is an interpretation a documentary is just a an interpretation of how someone or a, a research unit has seen Suzanne yes but, um, still, that is yes you have to be him to to know what to it's really like understand. for him yes but, yeah, um, yeah. even then he can still have a trouble understanding because he's not you but I, I went to X last year Mm-hmm. And the whole town has become Cezanneville. You know, they they've reshaped the town. Have they? You know, they've yeah. pedestrianised the area, and everywhere there's this guy, Paul Cezanne. At the time when he was alive, you know, Cezanne. Oh, yeah, who's he? <laughs> what's that? You yeah. know, I mean, he was. The, you know, I mean, all he was is this guy who used to shuffle by with his mm. easels on his back mm. and head out to Mont Savoie-Toire. Yes. Yeah. Where he loved to paint. Yes. And at the time, he was nobody. No. So I suppose this nicely ties in with this whole idea about commercialization and the commercialization of art as well, and how you see your art in terms of selling your art, and the ways, the mediums, or the methods you you communicate out to people. Is it all through gallery, or do you? Do you put some of it online as well? Yes, well, I say you'd put it where you can, if you like, Mm. because if you decided you want it to be seen or to be experienced, then you've got to put it there where it can be. Yes. And, you know, yes, you know, there is the desire to have it experienced. I've always sought to keep my painting pure, if you like, Mm. in that I've never planned towards, oh, yes, I know that will sell, or, or, you know, my plan has never been to think of it commercially. That's not the angle, as it were. It's, no, it's very much no. I mean, I mean, equal to the degree that I've chosen in life to earn a living, if you like, by lots of other ways. Yeah. In order to support myself mm-hmm. as artist, really, I suppose you could say. You know, I've done lots of things. Mm-hmm. But the, the, their purpose has been to give me the time and the space to, to get on with the real stuff, you know. Yes, yes. And in fact... One of the skills uh, you were telling me earlier is uh, as an electrician, which almost is an art form in itself. Well, it can be. I yes. mean, it's, Do you see it like that? Well, it's, it's a skill. It's something you've got to understand technically because electricity is kind of potentially dangerous, mm-hmm. but also potentially useful stuff. So you've got to present that electricity to a given environment safely mm. and usefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so, you know, there's a lot of... Yes, you can say, well, you're just sort of twiddling wires, but equally you are producing something that, A, first of all, needs to be safe, mm-hmm. but secondly, you know, is useful. Yes. And at the same time, equally, you know, you want to make it look good too. Yes. Or why not? Why yeah. wouldn't you? you know? Yeah, well, exactly. So you want your sockets to be straight, or you want your <laughs> lighting to, you know, to not only work, but to actually be good to work by. You know, there's a lot of function involved. Mm. Therefore, yes, it's something that suited me. Yes, um, that's a, that's a Rennie Macintosh, isn't it? It's about beauty and function. I mm. mean, they, he talks more about objects. Is it beautiful? Is it something you desire? And does it have a function? In which case, keep it. Otherwise, you don't need it. Basically. No. Well, jumping back to the time, the Festival of Britain and the birth of the Design Centre and Terence Conran and Habitat and... Bieber and all those kind of things that were going on at that time. Yes. Well, I mean, it started earlier with the Bauhaus and Mies van der Rohe and other people where they were taking the chair, say, and looking at, well, well, 
okay, we need to reduce it to its function. Mm. But equally, one, it has to work as a chair. Yes. But also, you know, what more can it do? And like, I don't know, Chippendale, when he made a chair, it worked as a chair, but also it was a beautiful exhibit of workmanship. Yes, yes. You know, there is always more than one angle to what something is. If it is of something of use, mm. if it's a chair or a table or a wall or a, or a car, yes, it's got a function, but equally there's the aesthetics involved. Yes, yeah, yes. You know, and aesthetics, that is the science, if you like, of, of beauty and taste and mm. all these type of things, which mm. are, in theory, very nebulous, but still are very, obviously, very crucial. Yes, yes. In what you're producing, yes. you know, whether you're a manufacturer or an artist or decorator or just anybody you mm. know you're blending your artistic skills with your practical skills have you ever considered as an artist creating art through an electrical form um to some degree i mean i came into electrical through electronics as it happened because when i left art college i just happened to meet people who were involved in electronics and right. so i worked in building making lighting equipment mm -hmm. at the time there was the beginning of sort of flashing lights for discos yes yes and special effect lighting for bands you got ultravox and pink floyd you know great big i don't know how many lorries they would take to produce their great extravaganzas if you like of course yeah and there's a lot of electronics electrical lighting all these things we're talking the early stage of what we now look as commonplace the fancy lighting that is so important to theatre, to film, to television, to public performance. Yes. You yeah. don't go to a gig without... The, that fancy lighting wasn't like that until 19, you know, to 1950s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, electronics is a fascinating subject because you're looking at the history of, you know, and of what we nowadays call technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously that helped you earn a pretty good living I imagine well yes uh, yeah yeah so that's and and also took the pressure off you being an artist which is quite quite nice to have that, that it, it, yes well I say you know it's, it's like I mean you speak to many people who who are artists or, or wanted to be artists and still haven't done it but very often one of the worst things you could be is to become an art teacher because you know there aren't many art teachers who are actually still able to be artists because yeah. they're forever channeling their, you know, their creativity into others. Yeah, they? yeah. I mean, I can, you know, one of my teachers, John Hunter, he was he was a brilliant artist, but he had to sort of squeeze his production of of works of art in between his endeavours as a teacher. Right. But then I squeezed him in as my endeavours as an electrician or yeah. as an electronic engineer. You you know, you squeeze him in. Yeah. There are many who, when we look in history, they appeared to be that artist only. You think, I don't know, you might think of Michelangelo. You might think, well, uh, he spent all his time being an artist, but he spent all his time probably arguing with his clients <laughs> as to whether he was allowed to paint that ceiling in that fashion or something. Mm. A lot of being an artist is your social skills. Yes, yes. Telling the people to go away so you can get on and do your job mm. of mm -hmm. painting that beautiful ceiling. You know, mm. it's sort of 
being an artist is not just being able to hold a brush. Yes, yeah, yes, for sure. <laughs> nice perspective of that. <laughs> if you could go anywhere in the world to paint, is there anywhere that you have this desire to go and just be to paint, or does that not really cross your mind? Well, I, I suppose looking back over subjects that I've been attracted to, it has usually been those places where water meets sky, meets land, meets man, meets nature, if you like, which, you know, it obviously is beside the sea, if you like, in, yes. in some form or other. But it might be Beachyhead or it might be, might be Provence, because, you know, in my experience, there are beautiful interchanges of those phenomena. It occurs to me that back in the times of Aristotle and, uh, you know, the Greeks, and all through the Middle Ages, one talked of the elements, and mm. they were called earth, water, air, and then the fourth one was called fire. Mm -hmm. But if you translate it back to the Greek, it wasn't fire; it was energy. Mm. It was, oof, it was, you know, it was the, the ability to move, and you had those elements. You had earth, water. And air, you had those three. Yes. But the motivator for them all, the the, if you like, the flux for them all, mm -hmm. is that thing that painting you know, as fire. But really, well, it means more what we say when a person put fire. Mm -hmm. They don't mean they, you know, they're burning up like a box of matches. You mean that they've got yes, a real got spirit. energy spirit. They've got spirit. Yes, yes. I mean, you think of earth, water, fire, and air. When you talk about air in a way, it implies space or emptiness. Mm -hmm. But obviously we know scientifically that you know, the air is full of oxygen and nitrogen and, and helium. All these things are up there, but we can't see them. But they're still that sort of emptiness that we call air. Mm. And then you've got that solidness, which we call that mountain or that rock or whatever. And then we've got that water, which is that thing splashing around it or coming down in rain or freezing on it like snow. Those are the, the three elements that make up, if you like, the, the, the world, you know, mm. the, the physical world. Mm. But through that, and most of the time unseen, is that element called fire. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the gloom. Yeah. <laughs> it's the power, yes. I mean, that oxygen is up there. But it's up there because it's got energy. Mm. Those atoms are little balls of, mm. of energy, of potential, of the ability to be big or be small, to be water, to be part of water. You know, H2O is oxygen and it's hydrogen. But if you've got oxygen, what's it do? It floats up there and sits in the sky. But if you combine it with some oxygen, it turns it into water. So, you know, those three elements... Earth, water, and um, earth, water, air. and air yeah. are, you know, are, are if you like the material. Yes. But yes. the energy, the fire, is the catalyst mm -hmm. for all the others to become things. Yes. And you feel this personally the most when you're near the sea. Well, yes, because well, in a way, it's the most obvious example of it. Yes. Because yes. the water is wet. You know, the sea is wet, the, the, the rocks, they just sit there, they, they take it, the water splashes against them, the sky is there and it turns blue, it turns green, 
it turns violet, it turns lavender, it does all sorts of things. It fills with clouds, you know, so you've got those atmospheric mm. conditions, which you might call the air. Mm. You've got those liquid conditions, which are like the water, and you've got the stuff that stands still. Solids, yeah. You've got those. Mm. But then, again, wherever you look at that, there's always life. Mm. Even if it's only a bit of algae or, or you know, a weed or a... Or a there's or a fish in the sea. There's always going to be life, mm. and that is that other element we loosely call fire. Because mm. it, you know, yes, a fish is only made out of atoms, and yet it's alive. Mm. That sea, we think of it as being alive because it splashes or it, people get drowned in it. It's vicious stuff potentially. Yeah, it is only H two O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the sun, that source of energy has made it hot, made it cold, shifted around, it's turned it to clouds, it's made it to rivers, it's done all these things. The sun has actually turned that water from water to water and turned it back and done it to this, turned it to snow, turned it to clouds, turned it to rivers, turned it to the sea, turned it into the stuff that flows in your blood. 90-whatever <laughs> percent of your body is water. Mm. It's just, if you like, it's everywhere. Yes. So... Phil. Yes, come <laughs> back do down to earth. <laughs> so, is there somewhere specifically that you would want to be to paint, or are you? Does uh, that not really matter to you? Because as long as you, you you feel all these elements wherever you are, really. I mean, obviously, coast you, you say is it's an obvious place, but well, are you well, drawn particularly somewhere to paint? Where do you feel the energy most? Um, well, yes, it is usually where the light is brightest. It doesn't have to be. Totally blue sky. Yeah. But when the light is bright, you can see the transparency of the leaves, or you can see the texture of, of the bricks or the stones, or you know, or the roofs of the houses, or something, or, or the the lines in the person's faces, or anything. You light gives you the ability to see. So that's where you need to be. You need to be I need somewhere. Light. You need light. Speaking, yeah. Well, it helps to have a lot of light, yeah. but equally, you know, like I mean, other person. light. Well, it doesn't have to be natural light. You okay. know, no, no. I mean, I mean, light, bouncing photons, dancing around something, brings out the colour in it, and that is what you're looking at. You're looking, what well, you're looking at is colour, or its shape, or its transparency, or its bendiness. You know, you're talking about its qualities, mm. and mm. light is what you use mm. to see. You know, we rely on light to fall on our eyes, so our, we can translate that falling of light into our eyes into pictures so if you could just pick up your canvas and easel and paints right this moment a helicopter's landing nearby where would where would you like the pilot to take you oh okay um yeah he would he would take me somewhere where there's mountains and sea and yeah but you have to give you have to give oh where are we gonna go okay we're gonna go well, has, he, has his helicopter got the fuel to take me down to Tahiti or somewhere like oh, that? Oh, fantastic. Okay, we'll go jet plane with maybe a, a helicopter as a, to yeah. take you to the specific place. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, because another thing you always go when you go to places, you've got, as I said before, you've got the life there. Mm. And it might be the people, it might be the animals. So I want to go to South America, to Darwin's place. Oh, the Galapagos, yes. But, I mean, you want to go there. Partly because it's been so inspirational to somebody else. Yes, yeah, yeah. But you don't want to be a tourist. No. Because there's millions of those trying to go to <laughs> that place. You want, you want to be there 
in the spirit that he was there. Yes, yes. You know, so you're looking, you're looking in terms of... You're looking for what, time travel, basically, a capture. I am, yeah, I'm looking for what, well, uh, yes, yeah, so now I'm looking for the future, because I know time travel is a bit, bit complicated, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, it's going to be perfected in my lifetime. But um, you want to look towards the future, but you're looking in terms of, oh, you know, what, what is going to, not going to inspire me, but what's going to be a suitable springboard from which to create something in the future. Mm. And that sounds maybe a bit pompous, but we are in charge of the future. Mm. Mm. We are, and to think that we're going to die and therefore it doesn't matter what we do is a total lie because yes. our spirit, the spirit of man, the spirit of you, well, this is quite an interesting is question. Eternal. It's a quite an interesting point you make because I think a lot of us, perhaps particularly at the moment, feel that we don't necessarily, not that we're not necessarily responsible for what's going to happen, that we have no control of what's going to happen and, and how we as individuals can help guide this, particularly when it comes to the environmental issues. But that's a big question, isn't it? So <laughs> none of us really have an answer for and I don't really want to get political, but... But within our own little worlds, we can control things and try to make our little world better, how big or small that may be, mm. and hopefully through that have an impact on, on others. But, but equally, what one person may believe is the right thing to do, that we're doing the right thing, another person may look at us and say, you're doing it all wrong there, you should be doing it this way. And this is what kind of perpetuates some of the issues out there is what really is the right way. We don't really know. We're guessing. As you said earlier, there's always a person who suddenly stands up and goes, no, from now on, we're going to do it this way. We've got to change direction. And he's a, or she's, he or she is a, is a strong enough person that everybody goes, yeah, you're right. Let's go that way. Mm, and I think mm. we're almost waiting for that person yeah, you a group of people to emerge. You don't make it sound like almost you're waiting for the Messiah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, I'm definitely not waiting for. But then again, that is what we. Uh, it seems to me that man thinks that God will provide. Mm. Doesn't matter what I do as an individual. But it does matter. Yeah, it does matter, mm. and you know, obviously. But it's know, a belief in ourselves that it does matter, and I think a lot of people don't mm. believe that mm. it does matter what they do when it does. Well, the other thing you're up against, if you like, is what I as an artist, me as an artist, I as an artist, call mm -hmm. mediocrity. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you're fighting against people's fear of change, people's mm -hmm. acceptance of the status quo, mm -hmm. people's unwillingness to to let go of what they hold to be precious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you think only their money or their house or their car or their, their backpack. You're trying to hold on. Mm. But the future is built on the degree to which we take responsibility, not as blame, but we say, well, actually, we need to try and have not just a bigger picture, but we need to have a willingness to entertain a constantly enlarging and changing situation mm. right now yes you, you know you can focus too much i mean as an electrician i came upon the banning of the light bulb came out with those curly ones which were 
horrible, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they were cheaper. Mm. They used less electricity to produce yes. a given amount of light, but they weren't good. They were fluorescent. They affected your produced ultraviolet light, which isn't good for you in the quantities. Eventually, the technology was developed for turning the LED into a light bulb, for instance, mm -hmm. yes. which doesn't use as much electricity because it doesn't burn, it doesn't produce heat, it produces light. And mm -hmm. that's about all it does is produce light. It does have side effects still. It still consumes some electricity. Yes. But for a given amount of energy, it does the job of producing a huge amount more light. Mm -hmm. And it's tiny. And <laughs> it's small. You can turn it into a torch. You can turn it into a, a ceiling. You can turn it into all sorts of things. Yes, yes. And it is good because it is primarily a source of light. Mm. It's not also a source of heat touch an old-fashioned light bulb, it'll burn you. Yes. You yes. touch an LED light bulb, well, it won't. Mm, mm -hmm. It isn't also producing heat. Mm. It is producing light. Mm, it's mm. not wasting, if you like, this thing we call precious called electricity. Yes, yes. Interesting. So it's, it's being able to let go of what you believe is right sometimes and entertain other ideas that I mean, may a, actually a fam be better. A famous example of someone working against the status quo or the, you know the establishment or whatever you want to call it was William Harvey with his demonstration that the blood flowed round the body it didn't ebb and flow it didn't go from your heart out to your fingers and back it circulated yes yes and the opposition he had mm. to people being prepared to believe what was actually true mm -hmm. which was that the blood circulates there was a lot of status quo. There was a lot of reasons why it wasn't convenient for the truth to be true. Yes, yes. And that is what you're dealing with. You can get obsessed. People can, generally speaking, be obsessed with keeping things as they are. Yes. Or not accepting that actually they're barking out with the wrong tree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even in terms of, what do you call it, um, microbiology, the virus, and, and these subjects, there's a certain degree of, well, okay, the virus is dangerous, therefore we better do this. There's a certain amount of willingness to to not actually make sure you do the right thing. And you spend all your money making plastic bags to put your test kits into. You, you <laughs> yeah. know I mean, people are happy because they've got a job, I can make plastic bags, and they can put these test kits. You know, there's, a, there's always a momentum you're up against mm. called complacency, call it obsession with lining your own nest, with monetaryism, you know, with everything down to money and the yeah. only important thing is to have money or to make money or to, you know, to save money or to spend money or whatever. It's a wrong focus yeah. because money is only uh, is in the way of actually the most important thing. What's more important than money? Mm. To, to be careful, to be humane, yeah. to be compassionate or to be kind or yeah. to, to be loving or you know these are the things that are important mm, mm -hmm. and yet life what we tend to call life meaning day-to-day -day existence which isn't life itself is it life itself is, is what's driving that worm to crawl across well, the we're garden going back to energy aren't we and power yeah <laughs> within yeah, ourselves well yeah we're talking we can become trapped inside the idea that it doesn't matter mm. what happens to the world mm. I'm all right, sort yeah, of thing, or yeah. your family is all right. It's not out of selfishness. It's out of the inability for everyone to realise simultaneously 
the the world is in danger. Mm. Mm-hmm. There Absolutely. are too many of us. There are too many people. What do we do? We stop expansion of population. Mm. What do we do? You know, there's so many things which are destined to make life difficult for us in the future. Mm. So what do we do about it? You know? mm. mm-hmm. There's a question, but not for today's podcast. No, no. <laughs> anyway, Phil, I've asked you a lot of questions. Are, are, there any, are, are you there any questions? idea what questions you questions? want to ask? Are there any questions that you would like me to ask you or you've, you felt that I should have asked you and I haven't done at all? Uh, do we miss out? Well, I know we, you know, I we just, did. A... I put together a couple, some questions to help the conversation flow, but I think it just flowed naturally anyway <laughs> without me having to draw it along. One thing is this podcast is also about having an opportunity to talk about your work and this exhibition coming up. So for the podcast listeners who have been listening to you today, where can they find your work online? What's your website? It's called Phil B H Okay. U. Phil B H U. P H I L B H U dot com. Okay. Phil B H U dot com. And yeah. there they can see some of your paintings. Yes. Online. Are you on Facebook? You can find that on the website anyway. Yeah, so everything's linked. Yes. Okay, that's perfect. And your exhibition is coming up next March, and obviously that information is also on the website. Indeed, yes. Anybody happens to be in Rye and wants to come... Or engineers to be in Rye on that. Oh, yes, indeed. On those dates. On those dates, (laughs) yes. Try to make it down, uh, where hopefully the world will be a bit more calmer than it is at the moment, and everybody can enjoy some, from my point of view, some really... Beautiful artwork and very colourful. In fact, actually, that is one question I haven't asked you, is your use of colour. You use very strong, vibrant colours. Is that just something that naturally is you? I mean, in terms of the vibrancy of the colour. I mean, people paint using different... Some people are all pastel colours, but you can look at something that's pastel, but you can see the vibrancy in it. Is that how you, is that how you paint? see the vibrancy and everything well vibrancy what is that the vibrancy means something vibrating doesn't it <laughs> yeah that's true yes um, <laughs> but, of... but, but i mean but it's important because you see you know anything through your eyes mm. as well mm. as you feel it through your fingers or you you know touch it and get its texture but the primary way in which you experience art is through your eyes yes, yes. and the way your eyes function is is that the the rods and cones in there, they respond to the stimulus of light hitting them. Mm. And when it's red light, when it's yellow light, that is what you're talking about when you're saying vibrancy. Mm. You're mm-hmm. talking about the effect of the colours and the arrangement of colours is having on your eye. You, yes. Yeah. And the way to, if you like, if you want vibrancy in a, a work, then keep your colours strong. Well, don't, you know, don't mix your blues with your browns. Okay, yes. You know, if you mix your blues and your yellows and your reds, all oh, you're getting brown and black and mud. Mm. So keep yeah. your colours, if okay. you like. yes. If it's blue, keep that. But then again, obviously green, for example, yes, you produce that by a mixture of blue and yellow. So if you want green, you keep that balance of blue and yellow right. Yeah, yeah. And that produces the green that you want. Yes. But if you have the understanding that the, the human eye works by detecting the blues, the yellows and the reds, then that will help you to make your work of art communicate Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it will excite people's eyes. Yes, yeah. In terms of the colour, but obviously you've got to 
present what you're presenting in such a way that equally they can enjoy it or reject it structurally. What form does it take? What shape? Has it got rude words in it? Or does it offend? Or My sister said when she looked at a piece of my work fairly recent, she said, well, like that. And she was searching in her mind. She was thinking, I like it. It's believable, she said. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a significant thing. Isn't it important that you find that piece of work believable in some fashion? Because the art is itself a pretense. You're pretending that that bit of paper is, you know, is a bowl of fruit. I mean, it isn't, is it? It's a piece of paper and you've got some paint in it. But you're saying, well, you know, this is a bowl of fruit. And you're asking the person to believe in your piece yes. of paper being a bowl of fruit. Right. So it's interesting to me because that is what is required for work of art is that people will in some way accept it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They will take it into their own universe and say, well, yeah, I can have that in my world too. I'm happy with that. It doesn't upset me. Yes, yes. You know, and if it was of something that upsets that person, then they wouldn't want it, would yes, they? Yes, interesting. Know, I know, whatever it might be, you know, I know, you know what upset you. Mm. You wouldn't want a painting of something that mm. upsets you. So you, you want it to be believable. You want it to be equally, if you're wanting it to communicate, if it's a poster, Actually, you want it to, your country needs you. You want it to do what you want it to do if it's a poster. Yes, you yes. You know, I'm thinking of the one of your country needs you, Lord it? Kitchener yeah, yeah, pointing yes. his finger at you. Yes. That was propaganda. That yeah. was commercial. That was, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, commercial art, if you like. Yeah. It was engineered for a particular Purpose, propagandist yeah. reason. Yes, yes. Whereas it's a pure work of art which you hope your work of art is, then you want it to communicate something of itself rather than something that you're instructing it to communicate. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Phil, we could go on talking for... We could, for about for, another for, four years. <laughs> yeah, but is there anything else based on what we've been talking about that you would like to add? Actually, there is one last question. You... Somebody wanting to develop being an artist, their artist skills, is there one piece of advice that you would give them um well hard to put it down into one you know one sentence or one word certainly but i mean the most important thing for an artist to be is to not stop is to be prolific if you like just keep doing it keep doing it okay you know do it again repeat if you like but also mentally what should the artist do is ask himself what do you want from this and then stay true Yes. Recognise what it is you want from this. Not how much money is it going to make me, but you know what does it mean to me spiritually, if you like, mm. and how can I be true to my spirit, if you like. Yes. You yeah. know, to my ethos, to my way of thinking, my ideas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like it. It's a very <laughs> nice piece of advice. And also very true. True to being true to yourself, really, as well as to mm. the way you view art is important mm. not to be... You don't want to be all things to all men, for instance. Because you, know, you never will be anyway, because it's because no. art is so subjective. Well, that's like I say, you can't please all the people all the time, can you? No. If you know what I mean, it's, no, a, no, no. it's a kind of crude way of putting it, but it's true. Yeah. But the wrong thing to do, if you like, is try and please people. Yes, yeah. But equally, the artist will find, oh, I've done that bit, and oh, that pleased somebody. There's a reciprocal effect going on yes you don't paint to please mm. but 
you're pleased if the person's pleased. Pleasure is involved in there. Yes, yes. But, you know, equally, yes, you know, you, you don't want to get to the point where you're churning stuff out mm. because you know it works. I mean, Picasso, for instance, Pablo Picasso, at one point he only had to sort of point a piece of paper at his pen to have something that people would pay millions for. Success became his downfall in some ways. Yeah, you know. yes. You know, you can get eaten up. Yes. Yeah, yes, very true. <laughs> you know, society will, or if you like, the malicious aspect of society will want to bring you down anyway. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you know, you kind of want to be aware of that. Mm. You don't want to pander to it. No. Just stay true. Yeah, yeah. You know, not, not be eaten up because the world wants to eat you. <laughs> it's very hungry. <laughs> yes. Well, like yes, it does. It wants your blood. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, on that okay. note, that's a kind of a word of good advice and a word of warning too. So, thank you, Phil. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I've got so many good takeaways from our conversation. You've really opened my eyes to how it is to be a painter. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and anyway, here's your brushes. Off you go. Thank you. To all you podcast listeners out there, please have a look at Phil's website, which is philbhu.com. I hope you've been inspired today. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please give us a rating or a review if you have the time. We'll be back next week for more podcast inspiration. But until then, take care and thanks for listening. Mm